The Milk Run, Chapter 5, Resupply. Midday, fuel running low. Steve reports 15% now, so John radios in the latest fuel report. They had developed a communications formula to provide ComSec for the hourly reports from the boats. It was a bit of a verbal Morse code mixed with American slang to try and fool anyone not American trying to listen in. Once everyone got the hang of it, it became easier and kind of rhythmic. But that didn't do anything about the dropping fuel levels. Steve said that if they got down to 10%, the engines wouldn't last much longer as the fuel filters would start sucking up sludge from the bombs of the tanks and bring them to a stuttering halt. John didn't know what to do at this point. They didn't have good enough communications to relay this technical info to the brass. All he could do was try and nurse the boat as best he could by not revving the engines and stay out of any swells. That made his job a lot harder and more exhausting. Everyone was waiting on that magic radio call saying that the Major had contacted someone with a sat phone. Steve took the helm while John took a break and grabbed some chow. Just as he stepped down, the radio chirped and Steve grabbed the headset. He answered and listened for a minute, then motioned for John. He put the headset on, listened for a minute, and smiled. He could barely contain his excitement. He replied affirmative and signed off. Steve thought he had a good idea what that was all about, waited for John to tell him what he hoped was good news. Sure enough, John hollered down into the well deck for everyone to gather around. As everyone bunched up in the after well deck, John told everyone that they had finally contacted the resupply people and everything was getting ready. They had a rendezvous waypoint and were getting ready to change course towards the new location. Within a few minutes, the signal flags start waving from the command boat, passing on the new course heading. John grabbed the wheel from Steve and asked him to bring some lunch as he was getting ready to become very busy. As Steve jumped down to grab an MRE, John made the course change and settled into formation again. It looked like they weren't going to have to go too much farther north, more westerly now. John figured the new waypoint must be close by. Good thing as fuel was getting critical. As the squadron headed towards land, everyone was trying to get a look at the beachhead they were headed to. The soldiers were trying to hang on and provide lookout security as best they could. The boat was rocking a little more fore and aft as John started to buck some waves going in. As the shoreline slowly started to come into focus and get larger, everyone started to get anxious. John was sure there was only one thing on their minds, worry of a repeat from yesterday. Finally, John had to yell down for everyone but the designated lookouts to stand down so they could do their jobs. One soldier was on the fantail, another one was perched up on the bow. Master Sergeant Thomas came up to stand by the wheelhouse where he could direct fire if needed. As John maneuvered his boat into formation, the flags came out again to tell everyone to stand off and wait for further instructions. So John idled the throttles to slow down and maintain position. As soon as all the boats came to a stop, the signal flags detailed the boats to get on their radios and stand by. John grabbed the headset and waited. Within a couple of minutes, Lieutenant Johnson got on the secure channel and ordered the boats with the least amount of fuel to head into the beach first with the others standing by. If needed, they could shut down to conserve fuel, but he advised against it in case of current drift. If the boats had enough fuel, try and idle on one engine to maintain position. The first three boats headed in, John's being one of them. As he started in, he started getting very anxious. He looked at the sergeant standing next to him on the deck to see if he could read anything in his body language that might spell trouble. But everything seemed copacetic. John figured it all must be a go, pushed the throttles forward and headed in. As they reached the beach, a soldier on the bow of the command boat popped green smoke, threw it on the beach, then put on his M16A4 up to ready position, scanning the beach area. As John got as close as he dared to avoid running aground, he stopped the boat and waited for the all clear. John couldn't see anything moving on the beach, but he didn't dare take any chances until Sergeant Thomas gave him the green light.
As they waited, he watched the other two boats, the Mike 8s, also waiting for the Army to make sure the beach was clear. Master Sergeant Thomas looked at John and said, I don't see anything. He wanted to signal the officers to see if they wanted to send out a recon patrol up to the head of the beach and beyond to scout the area. As the command boat was right next to John's, he hollered over without being too loud to get permission. The major said, go ahead, set it up in a report. Master Sergeant Thomas signaled two of the guys in his squad on John's boat and took two from the other boats to make up a fire team and they headed out. As soon as the boats dropped their ramps down far enough for the soldiers to jump into the surf, they jumped out, formed up on the beach to head out. John watched him fan out and head towards the low hills at the end of the beach in a semicircle. He also raised his bow ramp back up just in case. All they could do was wait. Waiting is always the hard part of any possible enemy contact. You didn't know if all hell was going to break loose at any minute. John tried to chat with the soldier on the, on the fantail, but he was all business and not too talkative. John went back to the wheelhouse to wait. Steve jumped up to report that they were down to 12% fuel now and wanted to shut down. John said no. He didn't want to get caught on the beach if, if everything hit the fan shortly. About 15 minutes after the squad went out over the side of the hills, a radio call came into the command boat. Major Steuben smiled and breathed the devil. Then he gave everyone a thumbs up. All was good. Now they just had to wait on the Air Force and the Army to deliver supplies. Major Steuben directed a couple of soldiers to take out a VSF-17 panel, lay it on the beach, and added some IR chem lights around the panel for the airdrop. He would be standing by the sat phone to direct a plane in when they got close enough for the parachute drop. All the sailors could do was stand by and let the Army do their thing. John, once again, wondered if they were bringing any fresh potable water somehow. Very soon, the Major got back on the sat phone and started talking to someone. John presumed it was the pilots on the plane or the convoy bringing in their supplies. Sure enough, John heard a plane overhead, and pretty soon a parachute dropped out of the back and they sped off. John watched the parachute drift in and land close to the panel on the beach. At that point, Chief Armstrong hollered out for everyone to form a work party to unload the pallet and get whatever was on it in, into the boats. John dropped his ramp, directed his people to go out and help. All the soldiers, except the guards, also went out. Once they pulled the netting and shoot off, they, all they found were MREs and bottled water. All good things to have, but bad for cleaning bodies and gear. As John watched, they broke it all down, divided everything into six stacks, started moving everything into the three boats. John directed his crew on where to stow everything. As he was doing that, he couldn't help but thinking that that was going to be it. As they were working, the Major came out and said that the Air Force was inbound again and to make another drop. With the beach rather small, they could only drop one pallet at a time. As everyone cleared the beach, the plane came back over and dropped the other pallet. This one dropped almost right on top of the first. John was glad they had cleared the first one off quickly. It would have been another logistical nightmare if they had lost that water and food. This pallet had something entirely different on it, but John couldn't quite make it out. It looked like all long boxes of some kind. Once the chute settled, everyone ran out to clear the pallet like before. This load turned out to be weapons. Tow missile launchers, ammunition for the squad weapons, M249s with belts of bullets, and some other things that John didn't recognize. They looked like sophisticated sniper rifles, maybe M24s? All, could, all John could think about was how they couldn't wash their clothes and bathe with those. Oh well, again John wondered if that was going to be it. He was pretty sure the Air Force was finished dropping pallets from the way they took off after letting the last one go. John also wondered why they received tow missile launchers. Were they planning something bigger than just a secret insertion or recon raid? John started to get that feeling of impending doom again. He thought he may be overthinking things and decided to mind his own business but keep a wary eye out in case things went south. All he rarely cared about was getting his boat and crew back to Bahrain in one piece. While everything was being stacked, loaded, and secured, call in from Master Sergeant Thomas from the forward lookout on the hills. 
Major shouted that they had spotted what looked like vehicle dust a few clicks out headed in their direction. He ordered his soldiers to get into defensive positions around the beach and advised his sailors to grab weapons and prepare to defend their boats. As everyone started to scramble their positions, John rounded up his crew and told Steve to try and find him some M16s and a can of ammo. Meanwhile, it told his two seamen to get ready to raise the bow ramp as quickly as possible if needed. Steve jumped back up on the ramp with four rifles and a box of 5.62 ammo and said they had to load their own magazines and advised everyone to get started right away. John agreed and jumped down to help. John said he wanted to keep a close eye on the beach in case of trouble so he would be back and forth as they loaded magazines. Everyone started grabbing fast loader strips and cardboard boxes of ammo to start loading. John loaded a couple of magazines, jumped up to see if anything else had changed on the beach. John looked around and all he could see was everyone dug in around the boats on the beach waiting for whatever was coming next. John looked over at the command boat next to his and as he did, Lieutenant Johnson waved him over the side of the boat. As he got close enough, the lieutenant told John that the incoming looked like a U.S. Army convoy, but after the last disaster, no one was taking any chances. He asked John if he was ready in case, and John replied that they were getting ready as they spoke. They would be loaded up in a few minutes. Lieutenant Johnson said that the other two boats would also be ready. John jumped back down to continue loading magazines and chat with his crew. He wanted to try and ease some of the tension, so he tried to crack jokes about the lack of water and other niceties that were missing from the wingnuts in the Air Force. As everyone started laughing and making their own jokes, John asked how long before they would be finished. Steve said they were loading up the last couple of mags now. With that task finished, or nearly so, John jumped back up to the wheelhouse. He wanted to stay close to the radio just in case. As he looked around, word came in from the recon unit that the trucks and Humvees were definitely American and headed in. Master Sergeant Thomas could see the driver somewhat and he looked more American than the bunch from yesterday. He still wasn't taking any chances, though. As the convoy approached the beach area on the little narrow sand track they were on, Sergeant Thomas had one of his squad flash a mirror in the sun at the lead vehicle as a signal that they were being exerted. As they hadn't established any radio comms yet, the sergeant wanted to be cautious about just letting them run down to the beach before being vetted by his team. As the lead vehicle slowed down and stopped in response, an officer stepped out. He opened his door and stepped out, keeping the door between himself and any possible danger. Sergeant Thomas looked him over with his binoculars and decided that he looked legitimate enough for him to break cover and check them out further. As he stepped out from the rocks and brush, Sergeant Thomas pointed his weapon towards the ground on the strap and put his hands out to his side. As he approached, the officer demanded he identify himself, which he did by name, unit, and a uniquely American slogan. The officer, an army captain, stepped out and greeted Sergeant Thomas and proceeded to identify his unit as well, the 47th Supply Battalion attached to the 1st Armored Division. They had been detailed to bring much-needed supplies to a Navy unit at the beachhead. He asked why the 7th SF Group was hiding out in the boondocks. He hadn't been briefed about them being here. Sergeant Thomas said he needed to inspect his vehicles before allowing them to move forward to the beach. If the captain had any objections, he had his OIC on a secure channel to verify them. The captain looked at the sergeant for a half minute realized that the sergeant was serious. He didn't ask why as he figured he may get a story later. Best to comply as it wouldn't hurt anything at this point, captain gave the go-ahead. Master Sergeant Thomas motioned back to his squad for two of his people to come down and assist with the inspection. When two more SF soldiers came out of their cover, Captain Stanley started to think that maybe this wasn't just a rescue mission as he'd been told. In his mission briefing, he had been told that a Navy boat squadron had gotten themselves into a little trouble and needed some emergency supplies. Everyone at the briefing had made jokes at the Navy's expense. As the SF soldiers started to look into the backs of the trucks, the captain walked over to his senior NCO and told him to get everyone up into defensive posture on the vehicles. 
He had a feeling there was more to this rescue mission than they had been told. His sergeant started quietly putting his troops on alert. Master Sergeant Thomas came up to Captain Stanley's vehicle to report that all looked in order and he would radio ahead and let them know he was coming. His squad would be providing overwatch while they were down on the beach unloading. Major Steubman got the call on the radio that they were coming in and that everything looked legitimate. Notified Lieutenant Johnson, who then had his signaler notify all the boats to start prepping. They needed to move fast once the trucks arrived. As John's crew got ready to go, he decided to help as well. There was a guard on the fantail still, and he didn't think he needed to stand watch in the wheelhouse right now. It was going to be all hands on deck to get this stuff on board, stowed, and back the boat out to make room for the other boats. All in all, another long day. As the convoy arrived, Major Steuben and Lieutenant Johnson stepped out on the beach to greet them. The Humvees fanned out on the beach and set up a secure perimeter, and the trucks parked down near the boats. As they backed down as far as they could towards the boats, Captain Stanley stepped out to look at what he had just driven into. As they walked down the beach to greet the two officers and Chief Armstrong, he thought, yep, this is way more than what they told him in his mission briefing. He greeted the officers without saluting as they figured that they were in an active combat zone and didn't want to single themselves out too much. As he shook hands with both officers, he identified himself, gave his orders to them. Major Steuben gave him a brief rundown of what had happened on the previous day and asked him if he would be able to transport prisoners and the dead and the badly wounded back with him. Captain Stanley got a surprised look on his face and told him, No one had told him about any of this, or we'd have come prepared. He did not have body bags or MPs with him. He asked if any of the wounded soldiers needed immediate treatment was assured that they had been taken care of. They just needed transport back to a hospital. Lieutenant Johnson thought to himself, It figures, another miscommunication again. He had been assured by command that there would be MPs in the next convoy and accommodations for the bodies that were starting to smell a little now. He knew there was nothing to be done about it, and he didn't know how far away this convoy needed to travel get the back to American lines. He left it up to Major Steuben to sort that out. He settled back to Stannis alongside the chief and asked him whether he wanted to go back to the Army hospital. Chief Armstrong looked at him sideways and said, With all due respect, sir, not only no, but hell no. I'm staying with my crews. Lieutenant smiled and told him he thought but so but had to ask. As they listened in on the negotiations about transferring the cargo, both inbound and outbound, they both tried to be patient. After a few minutes of back and forth, Major Steuben t- told the captain he was taking the bodies and prisoners back with him, with, whether he liked it or not. His mission, although he couldn't divulge any details, mandated it. If the captain had any problems with it, he could argue with Major Steuben's superiors, and he would give him the sat phone to do it with. With that, Captain Stanley said he would work it out later. Time was of the essence, and they needed to get this show on the road. He walked back to his vehicle and told himself he would definitely be having a conversation with his battalion commander when he got back, if he got back. With that, the unloading started going in earnest. Convoy soldiers started unloading and setting everything on the beach. The boat crews once again set up a work party to load everything in the boats. This was more food and water, field medical supplies, and lo and behold, a potable fresh water tank. John was ecstatic about the water. As he was at the end of the line, stowing supplies on his boat, he wondered which boat would get the water. He figured one of the Mike Ace's as they had the larger well deck than the LCM sick boats. Either way, they had fresh water. They could work out the logistics later on how everyone would partake of that bounty. Very soon, it was assholes and elbows with everybody working to get everything on the first three boats and the bodies, wounded and prisoners, secured in the trucks. As they finished up, Lieutenant Johnson ordered everyone back to their boats. John wondered about the Army squad out in the hills. If John and the others were standing offshore, how would Master Sergeant Thomas and his people get back on the boats? He asked the chief, and chief said he would work something out. Within a few more minutes, everything was loaded and secured for getting underway. 
All the fuel tanks have been filled up, thanks to the fuel bladder on one of the trucks. That went a lot faster this time as they had a long hose and electric pump to handle the refueling. I jump, jump up to the wheelhouse to supervise that last of the preparations for getting underway. Chief Armstrong raided aboard and told him to hang on. Major Steuben was working out perimeter security with Captain Stanley so his people could come back and get on the boats. John looked out. He saw two Humvees turn around, head back out towards the low hills at the head of the beach. As they passed out of sight, within a few minutes, Master Sergeant Thomas came running down the beach toward the, to board the boats. Once aboard, Master Sergeant Thomas gave everyone a thumbs up, and now John could start up and get out of there. By this time, it was already dark. John started everything up, turned on the running lights, backed off the beach. He turned the boat around in the deep surf and headed out to stand by. They still had three other boats to resupply yet. John told everyone to set up a lookout watch, grab some food and rest while they could, as they were likely going to run the rest of the night once the other boats got fueled up and loaded. All John could do now was wait. He watched as the SS squads on the other boats ran out and helped or set up security watch. They were probably glad to be doing something to contribute after waiting nearly all day to go ashore. As the night crept on, John got Steve to relieve him at the wheel so he could grab a bite to eat and make a head call. After that, it was watch and wait until they finished. John decided to take a cat nap next to the wheelhouse. He told the lookout that he was going to shut his eyes for a few minutes after eating, but to wake him up if anything changed. As John stretched out on the deck for a nap, he thought about how much his rack and a hot shower would feel right about now as he closed his eyes.